Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be and abide with us all through this season of Lent and through the seasons of our lives. This morning, we continue this series that we started a couple of weeks ago called 40. Lent is a time of 40 days set aside for repentance, reflection, and recognition of God's grace in our lives and our need for his forgiveness. This is a season of 40 days for us, and through this season, we're going to look at periods of time that are 40, 40 days, 40 years. Over the last couple of weeks, we looked at Jesus' temptation. He was tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. And last week was the flood account where the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. And today we join Moses on the mountain. And it's helpful to understand some backstory with this narrative that we have in Exodus 24. So we're going to look at a much broader portion of the, the biblical story this morning, considering these 40 days that Moses was up there in the powerful presence of God. God's powerful presence has come down to the top of the mountain where Moses goes. He has come down. God comes to redeem. Understanding the context of where Moses is and where the people of Israel are, it's helpful to understand they have just recently been in Egypt for 400 years. When God came down with his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, to rescue and redeem his people. The exodus from Egypt, the plagues, the Passover is roughly Exodus chapter 7 through 12. So in those six chapters, that's when God's people are, are released, let go, and they exit Egypt only to realize that Pharaoh has had a change of heart and the army's coming after them. During that time, God led them with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, protected them from the encroaching army, and in Exodus 14, opened the sea so that they could walk across on dry land. And then Pharaoh's army followed them but was covered by the water. There was water and manna provided for them in chapter 16. And in chapter 17, Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands. And Joshua and the soldiers of Israel defeated the Amalekites. So all that has just happened when they approach Mount Sinai. They arrive in chapter 19 at Mount Sinai, and they see that he comes to redeem, but he also comes in power. God's power was on display at the sea. It was on display in Egypt through the plagues. But then they really start to feel and experience the power, the majesty, the holiness of God when they arrive, and he comes down to the top of the mountain. And there's the thick smoke and the glory of God in a visible, tangible way. I mean, not, not the full experience. Because we can't have that full experience. But there's cloud and lightning and earthquakes. He comes in power. 
He also comes to covenant. He comes to have a relationship with his people. The covenant relationship had been established already through the patriarchs, through Abraham, toward his descendants. There will be land. There will be descendants. There will be a great nation. This is the covenant relationship that God has for his people. And then he comes to renew that covenant here. Earlier in chapter 24, we didn't have the whole chapter read, but we hear these words if we go back to verses 7 and 8. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. This was the book of instructions and rules and laws for God's people. And so Moses, they had, you know, there was an audible delivery of it. Chapter 20, the, fir- the, the first time we hear the Ten Commandments. Chapter 20, this is audible. This is God's voice. Now it's written down, and by chapter 24, Moses reads it in the hearing of the people. And then Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The covenant is established. There's blood shed with the establishment of the covenant. There's sacrifices that are made. There's an altar in view here. The covenant is renewed, this connection that God has with his people whom he has redeemed by his power. All of that is right there in front of them, right? When Moses goes and meets God on his mountain. Meet God on his mountain. Can you imagine that? The holiness, the glory, the power of God visible. We have hills right here. There's parts of the country that would call these mountains. We used to live there, right? Yeah, can you imagine if on top of one of these hills right here, there was a cloud and the earth, well, the earth shakes from here from time to time, but what if it was kind of constant? Right? And maybe there was lightning and the you know, visible display in the cloud, which is kind of rare here. But maybe if that were up there and the ground was shaking and there was just this feeling like something is very different, we haven't seen this before. Would we want to go up? (laughs) Or would we want to stay here? We want to just see it from a distance, observe what's happening, but not enter any further. See, the people could not approach the mountain. There was a fear of God that enveloped them. And it makes sense. This is what we read in Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die a healthy fear of God. There's a respect and an awe at the power of God. So the invitation that happens here in chapter 24 to come up and pay God a visit on his mountain was really for Moses only. Aaron and two sons of Aaron and 70 elders were able to come up, but there's a limit to how far they go. They get to go and they, there's a vision there, a sight that sounds a whole lot like the book of Revelation. 
with the, the way that it's described, so they get a glimpse. They get a glimpse at God's holiness and splendor, but they don't go all the way. Moses met God on the mountain. It was a mutual meeting, actually. Backing up even a little further, Exodus chapter 19, verse 20 says this, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. It's an invitation that God gives to Moses to come up. An invitation to, to be in the presence of God. You, you don't get to do that uninvited. You don't get to approach God's mountain uninvited, unholy, unrighteous in his sight. It would not lead to a good ending. But Moses entered the cloud of God's presence. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. This is in Exodus 24. We heard these words. And wait there and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. God had appeared to Moses at the burning bush. That's Exodus chapter 3. It's the same place. At least by description, the mountain of God is used to describe both Horeb in Exodus 3 and here at Sinai. So we believe it's the same locale. It's where God is. And Moses gets to, in the case of Exodus 3, wander over to see this burning bush from which God called to Moses and invited him not just to connect with God, but then to lead the people, to go back to Egypt where he had been, to face his fear, and to lead God's people up out of Egypt. And so he has done that, and he has returned now to the presence of God to get from God the instructions that God has for his people. Here you go. This is what you need. God met with Moses, but still not in his full glory to give him the law, the instructions for the tabernacle. That's what happens over the next few chapters. It's not in his full glory because we know that Moses later is like, God, I just want a glimpse, maybe of your backside glory. And God says, all right, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand. I'll walk past, and you can get a little peek. It's not an exact translation. So, so Moses doesn't even experience the fullness of God at that point, but he's up on the mountain in the cloud of God's holiness, and he's up there for a while. You ever have anything that's easier said than done? We've all experienced that from time to time. You know, somebody asks you to do something, sure, I'll do that. I'll take care of that. And then they remind you maybe, <laughs> maybe with a hint or maybe in a passive-aggressive way or maybe they just wait. Let's see how long this might actually take. You ever have, you know, you, you forgot? It was just honestly slipped your mind. You got busy, got distracted, didn't happen. Sometimes that's how it is for us. Good intentions only go so far. 
here are the good intentions of the people of Israel. In Exodus 24, verse 3, all the people answered with one voice. This is when God, or sorry, Moses reads the book of the covenant to them. Reads the instructions. Here's what's expected. Here's what the plan is. This is what we are to do. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's good. That's a good pledge. Way to go, Israel. (laughs) Sometimes have we done the same thing? Have we intended to do better? Have we thought to ourselves, not again. I won't do that again. I will do this instead. I won't say those kinds of words. I won't go down that road that I know is so tempting for me. I, I, I won't give in. I can be strong. We have good intentions too. They repeat their good intentions at verse 7. They knew what was expected. They've seen the glory of God. Like the way that Moses, the the text describes this, they're at the foot of the mountain, and it's like still smoking and lightning stuff happening there. And they've just seen the mighty hand and outstretched arm of God breaking the sea open so they could walk across. They've just come up out of 400 years of slavery because of the plagues and the Passover and all those things that have happened. They've eaten the manna. They've consumed the water. They're being sustained and led. They see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. What more do you need? But we look inside. We say, what more do I need? When I've seen the power of God, when I've seen his presence in my life, what more do I need? Because human nature is what it is. We're so easily distracted because waiting is hard. Everyone has to wait. The people at the bottom of the mountain, the the elders and the others who got to go up to wherever they went, maybe partway up the mountain. Verse 14 said, Moses said to the elders, wait here for us until we return. And then even Moses, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. Waiting is hard. I don't like to go to the DMV. Even the grocery store, if there's more than like two or three people in the line at the grocery store, I'm like, I'm doing that thing. Do you do that? Do you you seek out the shorter line? Like, oh, if I jump now, do you do the math? Like, if I go now and start counting people, How many, uh, how many change lanes too often? I used to more than I do now. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm fermenting well or something. I don't know. Sometimes we wait for things that are more important than traffic or grocery lines, though. We wait for our present situation to change. We wait for the prayer that we've prayed to be answered at least in a more tangible way. We wait for direction in our lives. Have you, have you waited and thought, what's God taking so long to answer this? When you thought things weren't going in the right direction, 
Have you taken over? Have you taken action? Have you tried to push ahead through obstacles? Now, sometimes that's needed. Sometimes we need to move forward. We need to break through a barrier. We need to take action and have that perseverance and that fortitude. But sometimes God wants us to just simply be patient. That doesn't necessarily mean doing nothing. You know, it's not sitting on the couch with the remote like, well, I'm waiting for God to poke me and tell me what to do. But sometimes, hmm, along with Israel, waiting can become wandering. We jump ahead to a few chapters. This is maybe familiar. But the, the people of Israel, like, we don't know what happened with Moses. He disappeared up on the mountain. He's been gone for like a month. We don't know what happened to him or if he's ever coming back. They stopped waiting. And in verse 7, in chapter 32, the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people. <laughs> Hear that? Your people, Moses. Your people, your problem. <laughs> your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. Out of the way that I commanded them, they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. The golden calf. This, this just dark spot on the history of Israel. They're right there. They have so much going for them. And the golden calf. We're right here. We have so much going for us. And maybe we don't take off our jewelry and make a false god, but how many times do we turn away, pursue something else, look elsewhere for direction, for answers, even to other people? Through all of this, God shows mercy. He keeps his covenant. Moses intercedes because God's pretty, he's pretty ticked off. God is angry, justifiably angry at Israel's inability to wait. But Moses intercedes and God relents from his anger. And the sacrifice to establish that covenant that God has with his people anticipates the covenant that we have in Jesus. The, the continual sacrifice of the Old Testament was ended at the cross. Blood that was shed in order to establish this relationship. And this is how a covenant works. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, the way that a covenant is, is described, you don't write out a covenant, you don't contract a covenant, you cut a covenant. Because things are cut. Blood is shed to establish this covenant relationship. And it anticipates the one who would be not cut but pierced. The one whose blood would be shed. The one who said, this is my blood of the new covenant. It anticipates the grace that we have in Jesus because he is gracious. Our God is gracious. Words from Joel chapter 2 that we heard on Ash Wednesday. It's part of our tradition for the, for the rite of the imposition of ashes. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The same God who could come out as consuming fire from that mountain, and the people knew it, could do so still. And yet he gives us the grace that he offers in Jesus. This grace that forgives our sin, that covers us for all those times that we've wandered and failed to wait. This grace that renews us. And he calls us to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Waiting's hard. It's still hard. Even waiting on the Lord. But this is what Isaiah 40, 35 says. They that wait on the Lord shall do what? Renew their strength. Be renewed in your strength, in your patience, in your trust, in your hope. Be renewed. Be redeemed. Be redeemed from our sins, from our turning away, from our failing to wait. Wait on the Lord and be renewed and redeemed and restored. God invites us to come to him on his mountain. To see him in his glory. To experience the presence of God in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's wait on the Lord.